Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Parshas Dvorim, in fact, the whole book of Dvorim, is the record of a long speech of rebuke that was delivered by Moshe to the Bnei Yisrael near the end of his life. As Rashi comments on the first two words in the Parsha, Eila Hadvorim, these are the words, Shehein Divrei Teuchachais, these are words of rebuke. It is in this light that we must read in this week's Parsha, Moshe's retelling of the story of the Meraglim the twelve leaders who were sent from the wilderness to gather information about Eretz Yisrael. We must strive to understand how everything that Moshe recounts serves his purpose of recriticizing and rebuking his audience. Moshe Rabbeinu begins to recount the story of the Maraglim. He says that the people requested that spies be sent into Eretz Yisrael, and he agreed to it, and he selected twelve men one from each tribe, and they went into Eretz Yisrael. They came to a place called Nachal Eshkol, and they spied there. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land, and they brought it back down to the people waiting for them in the Midbar. And they returned to the Bnei Yisrael a report, Vayomru, and they said, Toiva ha'oretz asher Hashem elokeinu nosein lono. It is good, the land that Hashem our God is giving to us. Moshe Rabbeinu does not report to us anything else that the Meraglim said, although certainly they did say more than that, as we know from Parshish Shlach. Moshe Rabbeinu here goes straight to the rest of the narrative. You, the Kla Yisrael, did not desire to go up to Eretz Yisrael. You rebelled against the mouth, against the word of Hashem your God. You complained. You gave up hope. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, reacted very seriously, very severely. Now, let's go back and analyze this report that Moshe Rabbeinu tells us about here. The Maraglim gave a report, and they said, Vayemru, Toiva ha'oretz asher Hashem elokeinu nosein lanu. It is good, the land that Hashem, our God, is giving us. Rashi comments, they said the land is good. Rashi asks a question. Who are these people who said good things about the land? We know from Parshish Shlach that the Meraglim, ten of them, said many negative things about Eretz Yisrael and many discouraging things. They said the people there are very fierce and they are giants and their cities are fortified and will never be able to conquer them. So who are these people that here merely said, it's a good land? Answers Rashi, Yeshua v'cholev. This was Yeshua and Kolev, the two Meraglim, about whom we know from Parsha Shlach. They only had good things to say about Eretz Yisrael, and they encouraged the people not to lose hope and to go to Eretz Yisrael and take it. There are questions in the commentaries about how exactly Rashi knew this. Is this perhaps contradictory to something that Rashi said in Parsha Shlach? 
This is not going to be our subject for now. For now, we're going to accept Rashi, but we're going to question it from a different angle. Ranban, as he often does, raises an objection to Rashi's explanation of this Pasuk. Ranban asks, if, as Rashi said, says only two of the Maraglim said that the land is good, but the other ten did not say so, in fact, the other ten said it's not good and it's not worth attempting to take, so then the people were justified in believing the ten and rejecting the words of the two. And, implicit in the Ranban's question is, we are discussing here, we are studying here, Moshe's rebuke of the Klal Yisrael. So how can Moshe Rabbeinu rebuke the Klal Yisrael and tell them that two of the Maraglam said it was good, and but you didn't, you didn't believe them? Well, that's not a, that's not a complaint. That's not a, an accusation. That's not a legitimate accusation against Klal Yisrael. If only two of the Maraglim said the land was good, but the other ten discouraged them from going and told them that it is not a worthwhile endeavor, well, then they were justified in listening to the ten rather than the two. That is Ranban's question. We will come to Ranban's own answer to the question a little bit later. Let us first discuss an answer that has been given in relatively recent times. Reb Chaim Kanievsky, he should live and be well in his Sefer on Chumash, Tamed Ekroa, gives the following answer to Ramban's question. Reb Chaim says that we must add one element to the story, which Rashi does not mention. He quotes the Zohar, this is a very often quoted piece of Zohar, that there is a profound reason why the Maraglim, the ten Maraglim, were discouraged and why they gave a discouraging report. The truth is, they saw the same things that Yeshua and Kalev saw. But they came back with a very different kind of report. The Zohar says, as Rabbi Chaim quotes it, that the Maraglim had a Nagiyah. They had a vested interest in preventing B'nai Yisrael from entering the land. They, these ten Maraglim, were leaders of the Kla Yisrael. But they understood that their leadership, their qualifications, and their style of leadership was only appropriate to the situation that existed in the Midbar. When B'nai Yisrael lived in the Midbar, it was a very purely spiritual existence. They did not have to work for their food, they had the mun. What did they do all day? Well, they heard, they heard shiurim, they heard Torah classes from Moshe Rabbeinu. They didn't have to worry very much about personal protection. They were protected by the Ananea Kovid, by the clouds of glory. At any time of the day, they could visit the Mishkan, and they could experience Hashem's closeness in the most extraordinary fashion. It was a very spiritual existence, with very little of the physical about it. However, when Klal Yisrael would enter Eretz Yisrael, there they would live a much more physical existence. Each family would be allotted a plot of land in Eretz Yisrael. In order to live, they would need to plow the land and sow the land and harvest the land and harvest the crops 
the base Amikdash would be somewhere relatively far away from each person. It would be a place to visit on the three regalim, on the three festivals, but not a place that one would frequent every day whenever one felt like it. It was going to be a much more physical existence, a physical existence, of course, imbued with the spirituality of the Torah and of God's presence, but still a much more prosaic kind of existence. And the Maraglim understood that their leadership was not appropriate for that kind of situation. And therefore, they were really not in favor of B'nai Yisrael entering Eretz Yisrael, because they knew that once that happened, they would lose their positions of leadership. And therefore, because of this vested interest, they looked at the situation in Eretz Yisrael. They saw the strong nations who lived there. They saw some of the tall and mighty men who lived there, and they lost hope because they had this this personal nagia, this vested interest, which clouded their vision. Now, what about Yeshua and Kalev? Well, Yeshua was going to become the leader in Eretz Yisrael. Whether he knew that at this point or not, I don't know. Kalev also, I'm not sure exactly what role he played after they came into Eretz Yisrael, although I do believe there's evidence that he did have a leadership role. But even without that, when we look at the 12 Miraglim, we look at the 10 on the one side and the 2 on the other, who should we believe? The 10 who are saying, don't go to Eretz Yisrael, which means they are giving evidence which meshes, which goes together, which furthers their vested interest, their personal nagia, Or should we listen to Yeshua Vakalev, whose testimony about how good the land is does not further their personal interests? The answer is, says Rabbi Chaim, the answer is they should have listened to Yeshua and Kalev. And that's why, Moshe Rabbeinu, this is the, the, the meaning, this is how we can understand Moshe Rabbeinu's criticism of the Klai Yisrael. Vayomru, they said, Yeshua Vakalev said, it's a good land, and they did not have any vested interest. They did not have any personal nagia which clouded their vision of the situation. And therefore, you should have listened to them rather than to the other ten. And the Bichayim adds on something very interesting. He explains, if you look at the Pasuk, it says, Vayyemru, they said. Now, the, the previous psukim are talking about all the Meraglim. And now this Pasuk says, Vayyemru, and they said. Along comes Rashi, and he said, well, they didn't all say it, only two of them said it. Now, that always bothered me somewhat. Seems like Rashi is changing the simple meaning of the Pasuk. But Rabbi Chaim explains that since the ten Miraglam had a Nagia, since they had this vested interest which clouded their vision, they are, as the Gemara would say, Kemandalesa. They're like someone who's not here. Their testimony is totally totally to be ignored. And therefore, Vayemru, they said, yes, they all said, what does it mean they all said? All those who are worth listening to said, Horus, the land is good. What the other people said is of no consequence not whatsoever. It's as if they did not say it. Despite the vast gap 
the vast difference between Rabbi Chaim's stupendous scholarship and my own very puny smattering, I cannot withhold that I have a fundamental difficulty with his approach. It is my belief, I will not attempt to prove it at this moment, but in my experience I have come to the conclusion that when Rashi explains a Pasuk, he tells us everything that we need to know about the Pasuk. If there's something else that one could find out about the Pasuk that Rashi doesn't mention, that's a sign that that other piece of information is not relevant to Rashi's explanation, is not necessary. For example, if Rashi explains a Pasuk according to a certain Midrash, but a certain other Midrash he does not mention, let's say Midrash A he mentions, Midrash B he does not mention, that is generally a sign that Rashi is explaining the Midrash, explaining the Pasuk according to Midrash A. Midrash B, that he doesn't mention, we can ignore. He is not bringing that into the discussion. It may be true. Of course, the Midrash is, is Torah Shabal Peh. It's true. It's important. But it is not relevant to Rashi's explanation of Pshutei Shalmikra, of the simple meaning of the Pasuk. Now, Rabbi Chaim's explanation of this Rashi, he bases on a fact that is told to us by the Zayhar, that the Ten Meraglim had a vested interest in keeping B'nai Yisrael out of Eretz Yisrael. In my humble opinion, to say that that is an essential factor in understanding Rashi is inappropriate. Since Rashi did not mention that Zohar, whether Rashi in fact ever saw the book of the Zohar or not, that's not my issue now. But since Rashi doesn't mention that point, whether from the Zohar or from some other source or from his own understanding, but since he doesn't mention that point, that the Maraglim had a vested interest, I find it fundamentally difficult to say that that is the, the linchpin upon which his whole explanation depends. The Gur'arye, the Maharal, defends Rashi from Ramban's question by invoking the principle from the Gemara of Milsa Diavide Ligluye Le Meshakra Inche. Something that is going and is likely to be going to be revealed, people do not lie about. For example, if somebody told me that my best friend who lives next door to me has developed a rare illness and his nose has turned bright green, he is probably not lying, because that is a milse de avide legluya. That's going to become revealed. All I need to do is go next door and take a look at my friend's nose. So it's not likely that the person who told me about this is lying. However, if, my, if some person tells me that when he was 15 years old, he caught a fish that weighs 200 pounds... That's called a milsa delayavida legluya. That is not likely to be revealed. The fish is long gone, either eaten or rot, rotted away. There are most likely no printed reports about this. He claims that it happened 
on a fishing trip that he took all by himself, so there were no witnesses. That's called a milsa deloyavli avida legluye. Now, we should mention that I do not have, before we get to the morale's explanation, but the morale uses this principle as an important element in understanding this Rashi. We cannot invoke upon the Maharal the same objection that I had to the explanation of Reb Chaim Kanievsky. We cannot say over here that, well, if Rashi doesn't mention Milsa Davida Legluya, how can we introduce that into the discussion? No, there's a fundamental difference. To say that the Rashi here depends on an incident or on an analysis of the Maraglim which he does not mention, that I find difficult. But to say that the Rashi can be understood by means of a svara, of a logical idea, that it happens to be that the Gemara says, that, that could of course be. Anyway, how does the Maral use this principle? He says, let's look at the ten Maraglim and the two Maraglim. Which of them is saying something that is a milsa de avida legluya, something that will become uh, will become evident, and so, and therefore something that people are not likely to lie about, and which of them are saying something that is not going to become evident, and therefore there is strong reason to suspect that they may be lying. The answer is the ten miraglim who said that Eretz Israel is a very scary place, and you should not go there. They are saying a milsa de lo avide legluya. They are saying something that is not likely to be revealed because they're telling us not to go there and find out. So when they say Eretz Israel is a bad place, that's very suspect because we're never going to find out if we follow them. But the other two Muraglim, Yeshua Vekalev, who say Eretz Israel is a wonderful place and it's flowing with milk and honey and it's a good place and Hashem wants us to go there. And you should go there. That's a milsa de avida legluya. They are telling us something that is going to become evident. They are, they are telling us, they are advising us to go there and find out. Now, we're going to go there and find out why would they lie. It's very unlikely that they would be lying. Therefore, says the Maharal, Meish Rabbeinu is criticizing the Klai Yisrael, and he's saying, two of the Maraglim told you, that it's a good place, and you should go there. So it's a milsa davida legluya. It is something that is going to become evident. You should have listened to them, and the other ten you should have ignored. Finally, let's investigate Ranban's own answer to his question. Although Ranban comes up with his own original approach to this parsha, but first he answers his own question on Rashi. Again, the question is, according to Rashi, that only two of the Maraglim said that the land is good, so what criticism of them was Moshe Rabbeinu presenting? If ten said it's not good, and two of them said it is good, well then, logic dictates they probably should have listened to the ten, and therefore it is not a, any complaint against them that they listened to the two. Answers the Ranban as follows, Ulai, perhaps, says Ranban, To'an alehem, Moshe Rabbeinu claimed upon the people. He registered the following complaint upon them. 
Kivin Shakodish Borohu Hodia Eschem, Shehi Eretz Toiva. Since Hashem informed you that the land of Israel is a good land, there are many psukim which indicate this. Ugdoile Hashluchim Vatsadikim Shebehem, and the greatest of the emissaries and the most righteous of the emissaries who went to spy on the land, they also are testifying so, that it is a good land. So, you should have believed that the others who said that it's not good, that it was only out of out of a weakness of heart, out of a lack of courage that they said what they said. So Ranban here is telling us that although generally generally the rule is majority rules, but not always. When you have Hashem on the side of the minority, and not only is Hashem on the side of the minority, but that minority is the G'dayle HaShluchim V'atzadikim Shebehem. They are the greatest and the most righteous of all of the witnesses that are testifying about this matter. So then, those two factors together are enough that we must believe the G'dayle HaShluchim V'atzadikim and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as opposed to the majority of witnesses who testify otherwise. We know that the Chet HaMaraglim, the sin of the Maraglim and the sin of Kalah Yisrael who listened to them occurred on Tisha B'Av, occurred on the 9th of Av, which of course is coming up this Shabbos. This Shabbos, in fact, when we will read Parshas Dvorim is the 9th of Av. The fast is pushed off till the next day. We know that the root of that sin is, we know that that sin is really the root of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. In general, it is the root of Jewish saras throughout the ages. And therefore, we are always looking for different ways to rectify that sin and to uproot its causes. We see here from Ranban that two of the causes of that sin were a failure to believe what HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us, that the land is good, and a failure to believe to believe the greatest and the most righteous of Hashem's emissaries. And this is these are two areas in which we need to strengthen ourselves always. We have to strengthen our belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, our active belief, not just lip service, but to actually internalize the things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has told us in the Torah. And we need to strengthen our trust in the G'dayli HaShluchim V'atzadikim Shebehem, in the greatest and most righteous of his emissaries, in the greatest Chachamim and Sadikim, who, who help us to believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and help us in knowing what is the right way to conduct ourselves, we need always to strengthen our, our willingness to follow their lead. Thank you for listening to Directions in Rashi with Yochanan Joseph. 
author of the book Directions in Rashi, available from Feldheim Publications. Production aspects were carried out by Minagain Music. Visit them online by going to facebook.com slash